And so you have to be very careful about some of the language that you use sometimes to that that doesn't disenfranchise someone, you know, that that may come from a background like mine, right? Um, because I and and I, and I say that because I just learned about the financial system when I got to college and I learned and I and my understanding matured as an adult. So you don't want to say things to me like, you know, this is so simple a 5-year-old can can do it. Right. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Diversity is a hot topic for employers today. And not only are businesses trying to diversify their employee population, they're trying to develop services and products for specific demographics in their consumer population as well. Our guest today insists that a diverse employee population will help a business serve a diverse consumer population. Now, been in HR a long time, and over the, probably especially the last six or seven years, I've met a, a lot of just real wackadoodle people claiming the title of diversity consultant who have no idea how businesses actually run or understand their need to actually make a profit. And I'm glad to say that Dion Harrison, my guest today, is not one of them. Dion is a senior director over banking products at Elevate Credit. He is also Elevate's chief diversity officer, where he built out Elevate's employee resource, resource groups which now include women in technology, LGBTQ, military, and the Mosaic Multicultural Networks. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Dion. Thank you, Mike, and thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And we'll see if in the next 30 minutes I can out you as a whack of doodle but we'll see. <laughs> it's but really, you've, you've got over 20 years of product development experience at companies like Citi and Wells Fargo. These are serious financial firms that are profit-driven. And you're not an HR guy. So how did you end up in the diversity role at Elevate? You know, it's it's been an interesting journey. And I'll tell you that I think that all of my experience in the banking industry has really um, made me feel far more comfortable with understanding the direction that we probably that we need to go um, with with our diversity, equity and inclusion program at Elevate. Throughout history, I think that we've seen many times where uh, diverse communities have been disadvantaged in the financial mainstream, um, and it's disproportionately towards minority groups in particular. Um, but that doesn't just mean, uh, you know, that it's been disproportionately against, you know, ethnic groups. It's also been gender groups as well, and and also sexual orientation. And I think, you know, over the years, I've learned a lot about financial services which has helped me to better understand that we there is a way that we can reimagine or re-engineer kind of the way our financial system works in order to give better access to those disadvantaged groups. And so I think I've been, I've had some very fortunate, uh, um, you know, career opportunities uh, throughout all these different companies that I've worked for. And the reality is that uh, they've always given me an opportunity to work from my perspective. And what I mean by that is uh, I grew up as a country kid in North Carolina. 
And uh, we grew up on a farm. Uh, my grandfather had a few acres of land that he would farm every single year. And uh, you, when we would farm this land, he would give away a bunch of food to people that were in our communities or churches and things of that nature. And I always grew up thinking, you know, like I'm the man because I got, you know, my friends and, and everyone just kind of rolling through our, our yard, picking up food all the time. And we were very resourceful. And my, my grandfather taught us to be very self-sufficient, self-reliant. And uh, the reality is that I saw a bunch of different people that were running through my yard. You know, there were black people, there were white people, there were, you know, just a variety of different folks because everybody gets hungry, right? And that was the one thing that we all had in common. And we all had in common this need for better resources and more access to things, right? And so I kind of grew up in this environment that always gave me some sort of a, um, a feeling of success whenever I gave back to people in a way that allowed them to have some progress or allowed them to have resources that they needed, you know? And, um, you know, when I went into financial services, I, I went to school for architectural engineering, but I went into financial services thinking to myself, what's a way that I can re-engineer this, you know, some of these systems, some of these processes to, to cater to, the, the, to those disadvantaged groups, and along the way, we definitely, uh, um, you know, I, I was very fortunate again to work with some leadership that listened to what I had to say. Um, and there were other people that had some really great ideas about how to um, to to do the same thing. And what I learned throughout that whole entire process is that the financial services system just wasn't getting significantly better for everyone, you know, um, and it's been a very slow progress. And so when I got to Elevate, I was very fortunate to have the opportunity to um, have, you know, some interactions with our legislative leaders. Um, I was asked to go up to uh, some of our, meet with some of our congressional members and talk about financial inclusion and how the financial system could change in order to better, you know, give more advantages, give more solutions to people in diverse communities, um, specifically those in rural communities and minority communities. And we've, ideated about a lot of different things from not just banking systems, but also broadband, you know, and, and, and even um, food insecurity. I mean, there's a number of different tentacles that, that end up affecting the, the entire life cycle or the holistic life cycle. Right. And so what I learned through most of these conversations is again, many disadvantaged groups, but also a lot of intersectionality and, um, and how the financial system kind of plays out. And I think I became more of an advocate for trying to identify how some of these intersections were causing additional problems or additional challenges. We were, I was also very fortunate that we have a consumer research group at, at Elevate called the Center for New Middle Class that had started down this path of learning about these individual consumer groups and learning how they were being disadvantaged um, and and really kind of pointing out the uniqueness of each one of these groups. And, and it actually helped us better from a product development perspective, because then we understood how to communicate. We understood what some of the incentives were for a lot of these disadvantaged groups. And I think quite honestly, it's made our company a lot better because we have taken a lot of that Intel and we've really kind of reshaped um, the way that we do our product development and the way that we do solutions. But it also started to change us as individuals. I mean, the reality is once you understand how someone else is being disadvantaged and some of the unintended consequences of the way that the system is set up right now and how we even participate in that and how we um, you know, could potentially change it, it definitely starts to change us. 
which is why the um, you know the company uh, when they asked me to become the chief diversity officer, the real kind of edict there was to to really start to change our corporate culture because I think what what we all started to realize is that in order to really kind of change the system, we've kind of have to change ourselves first. And we have to have, we have to be just better humans and, and really to spend some time being reflective and, and more understanding of the people that are around us, the community that's around us in order to better serve and better understand how do we serve and interact with those, with those different groups. Cause they are all around us and, and we've learned a ton of stuff uh, just through trying to engage with local businesses in the DFW area bringing them in house and, and learning more about some of the things that are doing. And we found a lot of things that were in common across different ethnic groups, gender groups. And, uh, and I think, you know, it's just making us a better corporate culture and the way that we approach our products overall. So then is your role as chief diversity officer at Elevate, is, is that more than just looking at the demographics or, characteristics of your employee population? Do you also have responsibility for making sure that your marketplace is, is diverse as well or that you're approaching, uh, addressing that? Yeah, diversity doesn't, it can't just stop at just looking at demographics internally. I mean, the reality is that we do have a very diverse work group at our at, at Elevate. Um, almost 40% of our management team is, is women, right? And we have about 23% of our uh, population that um, are, are, you know, are in uh, the Asian population, we have about 16% that are black. We have a fairly, you know, um, uh, uniquely diverse company with um, rolling up close to 500 people that are there. And quite honestly, I, I feel like we have the perfect environment to invite more people to speak up and talk about their different diversity groups and the challenges that, that are there and also the commonalities that we have in order to better understand even our customers because we reflect the customers that we actually serve right now, you know, um, and especially in the DFW community, for uh, for example. And, and I think it was, um, you know, at least in, in my heart and mind that we needed to do more from an outreach perspective within the community to um, to to not just acknowledge that internally, but also show support for those groups so that we had um, our employees felt more engaged and that we cared about the communities that they came from and cared about the communities that they absolutely represent. I also think that, you know, um, we worked in partnership with our with our HR team um, to, to stay in tune to where we are, what are those demographics, what are some of those statistics. But I think by and large, we also find the gaps of where we don't know certain things. Like we weren't very clear on how many of our employees actually went into, uh, served in the military or how many of them were actually family members of those in the military. And that's a very important demographic for us, um, especially from a financial inclusion perspective, because I don't think that we had really dug deep and understood how some of the products that we put out into the marketplace were being received by military servicemen and women. And we have to, had to actually think, stop and think about that. And so we've become engaged with the city of Fort Worth to get involved with the veteran fairs and better understand and support some of the financial education programs that they have deployed today. And, and through those programs, just by participating and being in the room and being amongst that community, we've definitely learned a lot and, and are starting to come smarter about how we do our product solutions. Okay, so let's talk just as an example. You mentioned military and military families. How 
are the products that they would need, the financial services type products they would need different than just somebody else in their same income bracket? So sometimes it's not just the product construct itself. A lot of times it's how you interact and how you communicate with, with, um, with folks, right? Because we have this idea that when a company creates an email and we send it out to our customer base, that that one email resonates with everyone, right? And the reality is that it doesn't. It actually does not at all. Um, in fact, um, if you think about the way that a lot of our military servicemen and women uh, serve, they go into the military and they they have a lot of things kind of taken care of for them, right? Like they only have a uniform that they have to wear, and they are you know they travel with the military, and um, they a lot of them will live on base, and so there there are things that that they don't really interact with on a um, for, versus someone who goes to college has to pay for their own you know apartment um, get a job when they get out um, and then it's it's kind of you you know a little bit ambiguous as to whether or not they're going to get that job that relates to their degree or not the military is far more structured and gives a career path and I think you know to the benefit of a lot of those military servicemen and women so when they come out of the military into more of what we call the the civilian world, there are some things that are a little bit odd and or just different, you know, in, in terms of how they interact with financial products and services that are available to them. And so sometimes you have to kind of over communicate a little bit and make sure that there's a clear understanding of how to interact with a product or how to actually engage or enroll in a product. What are some of the requirements for qualifying for that product? Um, and as, as you may know, some of the military folks just don't necessarily need a lot of the credit solutions that are out in the marketplace today. Some of the regulations actually prevent them from taking advantage of certain products that are in the market today. And there are um, certain benefits that you know are allowed by law uh, for the militaries that are active military, right? And so navigating some of that is just a little bit different for them. And so we have to make sure that our customer service is actually, um, you know, well prepared, we're educated in order to help service those, those, um, those members, to help them navigate through those products, um, and, and the different nuances that are there. So we do have to be more cognizant of that. Um, and it's, it's very much like the Hispanic speaking population, right? By and large, a lot of banking institutions have, um, have just, you know, at, at one point in time, a lot of banking institutions were doing a lot of stuff for the Hispanic community and, and putting up websites in Spanish and, you know, doing agreements in Spanish. And then over time, a lot of things happen, some not so great, some things that were good. But a lot of banking institutions have pulled back quite a bit with really kind of putting that um, that Spanish material that was out there largely due to because of misinterpretations about the terms and conditions and things of that nature. And so banks have to really be cognizant of whether or not they're putting out the right thing to communicate to that to that population and make sure that they're serving them the right way and and to make sure that they're not, you know, portraying that the product can do one thing and there's an expectation and then it falls short of that, right? So being clear and being transparent has always been very, very important in the banking industry. And so understanding how to do that and how to interact with, with um, different groups is very, very important for us. So then how is Elevate uh, addressing that with um, non-English, you know, non-native English speakers? Uh, how, you know, if, if, if financial, if you're, I can totally see, because I, I, in our own agreements, you yeah. know, we have uh, documents that are in other languages. 
and it makes me nervous every time because <laughs> I, I have to trust a translator to put this into Vietnamese or Spanish or whatever. And, yeah. you know, does this person really understand what they're signing? So how do y'all, how are y'all approaching that? So at this point we have, we've, everything that we've done has been in English, right? And the expectation is that the, the folks that are actually reading those materials, um, you know, understand English and we will have, we have, um, some services in the back end that allow us to be able to help with a little bit of that interpretation, but we try not to get too deep into, especially interpreting terms and conditions and things of that nature. So we're really just at the cusp of acknowledging that there's a gap there for us and there's an opportunity for us. And we're, we're going to, um, you know, try to make it a, a point to try to figure out like, how do we approach this? Because it's a big thing for us to accomplish, to be quite honest with you. We have, um, you know, regulations around um, financial products is, you know, <laughs> very broad. And there's a lot that's there, as you know, even with HR, right? Like there's a rocket, lot of regulations that are there and people that are constantly looking to try to make sure that you got it right. And if you didn't get it right, then there's trouble. So what we're, we're really trying to do is very slowly kind of stair step our way into defining who our demographic is within our customer base and what's, what, where do we place our priorities and then better understand how do we take that approach to clarifying some of the things that we have um, with our products. I will say that, you know, um, and, and not specifically with Elevate, but we did when I worked for a you know, previous financial institution, we did um, a lot in terms of trying to translate some of the uh, bank financial agreements and things of that nature. And it did not go well. Um, we, we spent a lot of money um, and, you know, trying to make sure that we did it right. And um, it didn't go well because we found a lot of opportunities where even in the Spanish language, there are some different dialects or interpretations that might be there that actually we didn't realize how, how they could be interpreted a little bit differently in, in some bank agreements. And so even back then, we actually even kind of pulled back on some of that and tried to simplify some of the agreements that we did have in Spanish. Um, we'd love to get into some, and we tried our best to get into other languages as well beyond just Spanish, because our country is definitely represented by other ethnic groups, but it's not an easy task. And I think, you know, by and large, the country has, um, a lot that it can do in order to try to help fill some of those gaps. But we did find also that there are quite a few folks that when we actually went out and started talking to people in those communities and asking whether that was important to them or not, uh, we got mixed reviews from that. And, and some of them actually said that they actually preferred to make sure that it was still in English because at least they knew that they were getting the exact same thing that every other American was getting. And that they weren't getting a different interpretation of something that they thought that they were getting, but they would they would much rather spend the time trying to learn from the English version and learn and make sure that they understood those terms and conditions than it would be to try to translate something and, and misinterpret. So with that kind of feedback, it gave us at least an opportunity to say like, well, maybe we can back off of this a little bit and, and try to figure out how do we do some other things that we can do to attract um, those communities and let them know that they're accepted and let them know that these products are for them as well. And so we spend some time thinking more, and I think this is a part of where we're going to spend most of our time here at Elevate, is working on the marketing side and on the branding side to make sure that we have you know, materials that are diverse enough to attract um, those consumers and to let those consumers know that we're, um, we're thinking about the challenges that they may have. We do a lot of focus group meetings um, across the country to ask questions about every product that we develop. 
we put the product construct together in, in you know very simple terms to make sure that our customers understand it. And we asked them you know, to be very blunt with us about whether or not this even solves a problem for them. Because far too often we think you know, that we're financial um, experts and we sit in the office and we know the next best thing that's, that's great for the consumer, um, but they don't know how to interact with it the way that we try to build it sometimes because we don't spend enough time asking them, does this make sense to you? Um, and is this convenient for you? And so we're we're spending much more time in that realm from a product development and, and marketing spec perspective than we are trying to necessarily translate language. Because I think the language piece is a big piece for us to try to accomplish. But I think if we can even just get to the solution itself, that's far more meaningful and far more impactful for a customer's life than just the language itself. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative. Premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're a certified HR professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of business recertification credit through HRCI and half a professional development credit through SHRM. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com and click on Research Credits. Then select episode 21 and enter the keyword DION. That's D-I-O-N. On December 9th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled How to Fairly and Legally Evaluate Applicants' Criminal History Information. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after December 9th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Dion Harrison. And you dropped the, the I word earlier that makes a lot of people's heads explode, intersectionality. So <laughs> talk to me when you're, when you're looking at a product market. And, um, and so, like, you know, I'm your average over 40, well over 40, cis white, you know, male. Um, how would the, your communication about products for me, to me, be different than to some other, you know, demo, you know, combination of demographics. Yeah, I mean, so that's a that's a great question. I mean, and the reality is that the communication just has to be clear to everyone, right? And we have to make sure that we're being accurate in every time every time that we're communicating something. But I think also the the tone of which we say certain things matters, right? And how we project or even ask people and try to invite people to interact with us really matters to us. And, and I think um, I'll, I'll give you, I will tell you that we have um, a set of emails that we were looking at from a collections perspective, right? So when a customer goes delinquent, um, the one thing that I know, because I started my career in collections, is that nobody wants to hear from you when they owe you money, right? And so <laughs> picking Preach. up the phone, right? <laughs> exactly, right? So picking up the phone and talking to you is very hard to do that, right? But how do you invite someone to do that? And how do you get across to them that it's okay for you to pick up the phone and, and, and talk to you, engage with you, right? And right. quite honestly... When we sat down to look at how our communication was being sent out, it was very kind of, it catered more towards someone who was very analytical. Um, we would give numbers to say very specifically exactly how much you owed, when you owed it by, the date. 
and we would say specifically who you had to call and how you need to, you know, what did you need to be prepared for and all these other kind of things. And they're very structured, right? And the reality is, is that, that, you know, it's more than just gender. It's more than just ethnicity. It's, it's really about diversity of thought also, right? And how you interact with customers to understand what's going to make them respond. And so we actually took all of that it, those those letters and those emails that we had, and we sat them in, in in this group. And I, I will tell you, we have a, a great email marketing team that has done just a fantastic job with, with really kind of looking at that and saying, "Yeah, we don't need to communicate this way, right? <laughs> like, we, if if what is the value of the brand, right? What is what do you want to project? What kind of um, tone? What is the persona that you would like to project from this brand and from this um, product?" So that you're communicating that way in across all of your communications. And we actually identified when we went through this exercise just to build a product, we identified three or four different groups that we were, you know, kind of our, this is our target audience. And, and some of it had to do with gender and some of it had to do with their financial status. Some of it had to do with their education. Some of it had to do with the types of tools that they interact with, a mobile phone or a PC or, or um, a laptop or an iPad. We, we took into consideration a myriad of different dimensions that um, we could interact with and how we could interact. And we boiled all that down to a voice for our, for our emails. And once we found out what that voice sounded like, it's almost like everybody started to kind of take on that character, that person that we wanted to be, that was was um, very amiable to all these different groups that were our target audience. And we started to change our communications. And I'll tell you, Mike, it was a great exercise to go through because once we started to really change the communications that we had, our interactions with our customers shot out of the roof. We had a 50% open rate on all of our emails. We had like a 20% click to open rate within um, with, with you know folks taking action on the emails that we sent out. And, and it was far well and above our expectations and, and where like a lot of our benchmarks were for these interactions. But we had to do that in consideration with all the different intersections that a customer or dimensions of where who, who our customers are, right? And we had to consider more than just one type of customer and stop being very stoic and structured about the way that we communicate. And so again, it's it's more than just the product itself because we can get to help people understand how to interact with the product, but how you communicate with them, how you interact with them, how you even express to them that they're, that um, some of the dimensions that make them, uh, that make up who they are, are represented here or at least considered in the way that we we um, design those products. Can you give me a, for example, of how, you know, because of course I'm, you know, a 40-year-old white guy and everything has been written to my benefit. I, I wish I was 40. I'm oh, over 40. You know. Everything has been, you know, I think it's fair to say been written for my benefit. I mean, you right. know, to, you know, target my demographic. So sure. what, what kind of thing would you change to reach a specific different give me and yeah i'll let you pick i, I don't want to get canceled so i'm not going to pick the uh the demographic <laughs> group actually i kind of want to get canceled but i'm just not good enough to do that anybody cares um but so you pick the demographic group and, and and give me an example of how you would change something to 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 attract them or to communicate better with them sure i mean you know I, i'll take my own ethnic group right like the reality is right <laughs> Safe for me, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, t- I'll pick my own ethnic group. I mean, the reality is that, um, you know, I will say 
for myself, and, I, and and not that I represent my entire ethnic group, but I will say for myself, I I'm a um, a, a black male who grew up in a, um, a a pretty impoverished area in North Carolina, rural um, you know area that had very little resources to education. I, I was very fortunate to have a good support group that you know allowed me to go to college. And through college, I learned a lot um, about, I, I just started learning about the financial system when I got in college, right? And then throughout my adult years and my own interactions with money and my own interactions with the banking system, I started to learn more about that uh, financial system. So the one thing for me, when I receive any type of advertisement, or if I receive any type of um, um, collateral material that that wants to talk to me about um, uh, about you know, kind of the new solution is that I don't want to be talked down to, right? Like my situation is, is, is bad, right? And that I need this product in order to help me to overcome my situation, right? And so you have to be very careful about some of the language that you use sometimes to that, that doesn't disenfranchise someone, you know, that, that may come from a background like mine, right? Um, because I, and and I and I say that because I just learned about the financial system when I got to college, and I learned and I'm and my understanding matured as an adult. So you don't want to say things to me like you know this is so simple a five year old can can do it, right? Oh, wow. Or you don't want to say something about you know how um, even saying things of how savvy I am as a consumer if I use their mobile app. Because maybe I don't want to use that, you know what I mean? Like, does that really make me savvy just because I use your mobile app, right? Like, you you don't want to infer a particular characteristic about anyone in particular just because you feel like you've brought the solution forward to them, right? Um, and, and advertising has changed, marketing has changed quite a bit over the years uh, to be more considerate. And I think a little bit less, uh, a, a little bit more, um, uh, I, I would say, more generic in terms of trying to interact. But, but, but it's, a, it's a balance, right? Because marketing is also meant to try to provoke and to be the catalyst and attract people, right? So we've, we've decided to really kind of focus on what is the need that we can focus on and, and speak to the need versus the person. And, you know, um, now I will tell you, if you look at other companies also, there are certain companies in the marketplace today um, that very specifically call out um, the need for Black Americans to become more financially savvy, right? And and that they they are very hardcore, you know, representing Black wealth as being a very important tenet of the Black community and that you should reinvest back into Black businesses and, and um, attempt to go into Black banks and things of that nature. And while I, I agree with, uh, with much of that, what, I, um, what is hard sometimes to accept from, for the Black community is this idea that I'm disadvantaged and that because, I, look, I've worked really hard for where I'm at right now. And a large, a large portion of, of uh, Black America has done exactly that, have worked really hard to kind of achieve certain levels of success and to achieve certain levels of, of, of accolades with their positions and things of that nature. I mean, in fact, I mean, there are more Black women that have PhDs in, in the uh, U.S. now than there ever has been in history. And in fact, they're outpacing um, other ethnic groups in terms of them reaching that type of, uh, um, of, of education level, right? So with that being said, 
why speak to me as I'm immediately disadvantaged just because you identified in some database that I might be black? I don't I don't necessarily want you to try to appeal to me from a disadvantaged perspective. I'd much rather you, you know, celebrate where we're at or where I'm at, right? And and invite me in because there is a bigger purpose, a big you know, that that is being served versus just because here's the deal. Like I've worked really hard in my lifetime and I feel comfortable where I'm at financially, but the reality is that I don't feel like my financial system, my financial system is really uplifting the whole community, right? Like that's a huge responsibility to put on me as an individual, right? So why sell me that in an for a financial product? Why why invite me in in that way that you know this is my way of doing that now it's again it's it's not mis completely misguided because there's a purpose behind all of that and i understand the purpose um because there's a there's this uh, this need and desire to get more collective and uh with with using that wealth in order to uplift the black community and i i and i wholeheartedly believe that in fact we we have to do that more um in terms of supporting minority institutions that are even in the dfw area and and part of what we've done at, at elevate is is actually invite a lot of minority businesses in to kind of showcase some of the things that they do um you know like yoga studios, um, the Flamenco, we, we did Hispanic Heritage Month and we had a Flamenco company that's a Hispanic owned nonprofit that we brought in. Um, we have uh, Family Equality, which is another uh, nonprofit organization that does, um, uh, that helps uh, with adoption and foster care for L- the LGBTQ community. Um, you know, we invite them in to kind of tell us more about themselves so that we learn a little bit more. And again, it, it helps us in particular with trying to understand how to speak to people in a way that doesn't make them feel even more disenfranchised, but also understands accomplishments and, and, and so that we can actually speak and celebrate those things um, in, in congruence with that. That is so interesting. So we're running out of time, but tie, tie back... Um, the how having a diverse employee population at Elevate and and especially how um, your uh, employee resource groups work and how they affect your product decisions. Yeah, so we're we're still at the very beginnings of a lot of those employee resource groups getting getting to that point. I think the 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 sole purpose of the employee resource groups today is really more focused around building our corporate culture and, and changing that mindset, changing the hearts and minds of the people that are there to be more inclusive, right? To make sure that we're considering other people that are very different than us and considering those folks. I mean, we have a very accomplished um, group of folks that work at Elevate from an education perspective, um, lots of good work experience that they come from. I mean, these are some very talented folks that work there. And I've actually been very challenged to make sure that I kind of step myself up every every time I walk into the office, because I got some really smart people that work for me. But I think, again, just um, getting ourselves out of our own little nutshell and and understanding people that are very different from us makes us a lot more considerate of the folks that are, are around us. Now, I think eventually we're going to get to that point where we take that and we and we start to channel that 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 higher knowledge, that higher understanding, that higher introspective, and and start to push more of that into our product development, into our technology, so that we are considering others. Right? We have about two, uh, a little over two to 3 million people that we've served throughout Elevate. And quite honestly, the marketplace is about 26 million people. 
why is it that we can't get to a higher number at this point? And those are the, some of the things that we're starting to consider is who have we left out, um, you know, of our marketing, of our advertising, who have we left out of, you know, from a, um, not just from a, uh, from a financial need perspective, but also just from a demographic perspective, are there other, um, you know, areas that we can focus our attention on to try to find, even if it's a niche product, you know, for a particular area. And we, we love working with banking institutions that, that want to, um, you know, to have that type of a focus also. And we want to work with even marketing agencies that will um, bring in some of the ideas that they have around how to better serve some of those communities also and, and use that in our advertising and our product development and design. But then also, I think the other thing that we're trying to do is also change how we recruit where we recruit and being a little bit more, um, you know, inclusive about that also changing up some of the materials that we have that, you know, are we inviting people from different backgrounds with the materials that we have? Um, you know, it's more than just going to an HBCU and saying, you know, I'd like to hire, you know, as many students as I possibly can from this HBCU, because that's not really, you know, that's a staple. It, it should be in place and people should do that. But the reality is we can we can go to SMU and we can go to the Black Students Association and find, you know, students from there. Right. We can go to, um, you know, UTD and and ask the Hispanic student community, you know, hey, I'd love to maybe post this job here. Or how can we create some sort of an intern feeder program that, you know, that that channels there? And could we create a scholarship program for a minority um, pop, you know, population if you in exchange give us more information about your community so that we can make better decisions? decisions about our products. And, and we want to just kind of crack the nut a little bit and use everything that we have at our disposal so that we're not just kind of, you know, following the same system that we have for all these years and, and just ending up with the same products all the time, right? Like we've got to tear down some of the institutional things that we've done over time and really start to look for ways to be more innovative by, you know, kind of cracking open everything that we have available to us. That's uh, that's really, really interesting. Uh, one last question, because I know yeah. I've got at least one listener out there wearing a Che Guevara T-shirt and wants to burn down the, the entire American enterprise. Um, <laughs> isn't, I'm going to pose the question the way uh, that person would probably say it. Isn't Elevate just pandering to people in special interest groups just to make a buck off of them? <laughs> That's a great question. I mean, the reality is, you know, so I'm going to say emphatically, no. Um, Elevate has always had um, a, a, a mantra for serving the underserved. And we, we have it in our core values that we believe that everyone deserves a second chance, right? So it's it's not just those folks that are underserved that we're serving. We're serving people that are served also, right? Like people that are in the financial mainstream. If you want to come and use one of our products, we absolutely want to be able to make a product for you also. But by and large, the bigger opportunity to help the financial mainstream is in middle America, it's the folks that are, you know, working every single day of their lives, trying to get ahead, trying to move themselves beyond, you know, that one event that may have happened, right? Like a medical situation, a divorce, you know, kids, um, you know, unexpectedly happening or expectedly happening. And then all of a sudden you find out that you're, you know, daughter likes designer clothes like mine does. And you want to be like, oh my gosh, why, why, why? I, this is not my gene, you know? And, you know, but we all go through it, right? We all go through some sort of financial stress in some way, shape or form. 
And does Elevate have every product for every person? No, we don't. But, um, you know, we want to be able to create solutions that make sense specifically for those folks that have been disadvantaged for quite some time, because we believe that we can create a progression story for those customers. Quite honestly, a lot of our products are designed in a way that we don't want you to use them forever. Like we're, we're the stopgap. We're the, we're the product that you use when you're having the difficult time and you have limited um, access to resources. And then once you get to that point where you're good, then go Go find a better price product. Go find, you know, the great product that you feel like is the one that you want to live with for the rest of your life. And if you have an idea that you think that we can use in order to create that product for you, we're willing to listen to that too. Over the years, we have tried a myriad of different things and we have not been a one-stop, a one-trick pony by any stretch of the imagination. We tried a bunch of different products, some of which are no longer in our product suite because they just don't work at all. And primarily because they don't work for the company. I mean, for the customer. It's it, The company itself is you know have has capped our profit margin at a certain level and once we cap our profit margin anything that we make over that we reinvest back into lowering costs for customers making better products for customers so that eventually we can get to the point where we can also be the ones that are helping with those mainstream products and i think we're, we're right now in the process of trying to build out better partnerships with other banking institutions that will help us to be even refer customers to those um, to them so that they can get the actual solution that they have because we only have a, a limited number of products that we we service today we know that those aren't all the products that someone needs um, but i think you'll find that same sentiment in in, um, in a lot of different companies that are out there i mean when you look at like a mint.com and, and all those and uh, even credit karma they have this whole marketplace full of different types of financial products and while it can be intimidating to go in and look at all of them I think the reality is the reason why they're putting out all of them is because they know that they got a lot of diverse groups that they got to service in order to create the right type of product for your specific situation, right? And far too long, I think many customers, that, especially the, those that have FICO scores that are less than 700, have gone into their banking institution and said, hey, listen, listen, I, I'm, you know, I'm doing okay, living paycheck to paycheck, but I need four tires right now and it's going to cost me $800. Is there any way at all that you guys have like a $800 loan that you could give to me? And the vast majority of banking institutions are like, not really. Um, we can give you a HELOC, you know, and qualify you for a $20,000 line of credit. And you're just like, I don't want to get into debt for a $20,000 line of credit. I just, I just want 800 bucks for some tires, right? And how do you do that? And the financing options that you get if you go to a retailer or if you have to go to like, especially if you, if um, if it forces them to go back to like a payday lender, it's just not great choices, right? So we're trying to find a way to create better solutions for that group of, of, of individuals, right? And are we a nonprofit? No, we are not. We are a for-profit company, um, just like banking institutions are and many other companies are, right? But it doesn't make us a bad company because we want to pay people like myself and the team, this this fa fantastic team that we have. Be, um, but we want to keep everybody in business so that we can get to the point where we're actually creating some valuable solutions for valuable and valuable for our customers, right? Um, that really kind of help them through whatever short-term situation they have and eventually get us to the point where we can offer even more long-term um, solutions for customers in, um, over the life cycle. Good. That, that sounds like a good capitalist answer. Thank you. <laughs>
It is a good Thank capitalist you. answer. <laughs> Mixed in with that. a little bit of socialism, I, I will no, say. I'm all, I mean, I think I, I'm a big believer in conscious capitalism, and I think you can serve your shareholders and all the other stakeholders uh, and still Absolutely. make a profit. So. But that's all the time we have. Thanks for being with me today, Dion. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I, I enjoyed the conversation. I think more dialogue like this is needed um, specifically to better understand that, uh, that there are companies that are out there that really care about you know the, the diverse group of communities that we serve, that we are taking all of those aspects into consideration and we want to get better at it. Nobody's perfect at it at this point, um, but the only way we, we do that is by allowing um, opportunities for the community to be more vocal to us so that we can hear them. And then we can start to take a lot of that stuff into consideration. And there is no perfect path to it today. Um, we're figuring it out um, just like other institutions are, but I think collectively we'll, we'll definitely get there. And, and um, inclusion is a, is a reality um, and will be an even better reality for us in the long term. And, you know, this, uh, this episode of the podcast will definitely be approved for business credit for HR uh, CI certified professionals because this is we've really talked today about how we you know how a company designs its products and and communicates about its products to the to the marketplace using diversity uh, and I think that's something a lot of HR folks need to really understand as they're as they're trying to evaluate their own diversity uh, efforts internally and and understand how those what the people they choose are going to affect those uh you know those, those that to people. me is that to me is the most important part is is when you have a diverse workforce you have far more voices that you can leverage in order to better understand how you need to to uh, you know to um to design those products we have we have immigrants we have um, you know, different ethnic groups. We have uh, different people from all across the country that have worked in our in our workforce. Come from different East socioeconomic groups, different educational backgrounds, um, and I think you know some with college, some without, some with advanced college degrees. And quite honestly, that entire ecosystem is is hugely valuable to the ideas, to the um, innovation, and also to really kind of the the customer-driven approach that we take to all of our products uh, at, at Elevate. And quite honestly, I think that, you know, the um, our folks are going to be, uh, you know, wildly successful, you know, as they start to become more involved with the community um, in, in the DFW area and start to become DEI ambassadors and talk a little bit more about how um, DEI has impacted um, not just their the culture at at the uh, at Elevate and why they want to stay there, but also how it impacts the way that they think about doing their job. Because I have system developers that come to me with ideas about how we can better serve certain demographics, and and they they actually read. Um, you know, our website now and say, you probably shouldn't say this, or you probably should say that, you know, to be more inclusive. And I appreciate that because quite honestly, you know, it, it's not just a responsibility of, of um, HR for DEI. It's not just a responsibility of, you know, our DEI program. It's, it's our legal and compliance. It's our risk team. It's our technology team. Everybody is responsible for being more inclusive and contributing to the, the, you know, the, the, um, the goal of being more financially inclusive. And if everybody's responsible, then we all have to be better educated on what it means to be inclusive. Perfect. And that my friends is what you call a French goodbye. Uh, <laughs> 
Thank you for listening. You can find previous episodes, show notes, and contact info for our guests at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer and Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Katie Bautista, keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, and keep your chin up.